0: Welcome to Technology Revolution, The Future of Now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Bonnie D. in the house, happy to be here. We wish the future was right now because we're trying to live stream and it's just not connecting today. The joys of technology. That's why my show is called Technology revolution, the future of now, now, now. Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure for introducing us. Uh, I want you all to feel empathy for me that I couldn't get this going. And that happens to be a keyword, word, the theme of today's show. Isn't that ironic? Unable to stream to the custom service. Apparently Zoom is having a hard time. It's not my fault. So let me tell you our topic today. And we will post this onto LinkedIn and Facebook after the show. But we are broadcasting live. I want my guests to just wave hello because you will be seen later. To We're waving hello to the Voice America Business Channel, even though they can't see you waving. I have four smiling faces who can appreciate the humor in that. So we're talking about empathy today. I don't think we've talked about that on my show in years i think we did it once so you know all of you that i like to query chatgpt that's a chat bot it's artificial intelligence all kinds of words for it it has this huge database it doesn't surf the internet looking for current information it uses machine learning or whatever it has so i said is empathy important in business success and the answer was yes empathy can be an important factor in business success it's the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. Mm. And it can be beneficial in many ways. It can build strong relationships with clients and customers. It can foster a positive work environment. We all want that, whether we're in-person or remote. And it can help in problem-solving and decision-making. Then I asked the question of the day to ChatGPT. Do you, I'm talking to a chatbot on a screen online. Do you have empathy? And ChatGPT said, As an AI language model, I do not have emotions or personal experiences, so I cannot feel empathy in the same way that a human can. However, ChatGPT said, I can respond to questions about emotions and provide information about how people typically experience empathy. So that's based on the knowledge that people, somebody has fed into ChatGPT. Then I said, okay, give me a couple of movie quotes, character quotes about empathy. And I got the following from Moulin Rouge. I won't go into the long history of these. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. I like that Minter hasn't been introduced yet, but his eyebrows are going up and down, he likes that. Then I have a quote from, well, Les Mis, Les Mirables 2012. To understand all is to forgive all. So understanding empathy. And then I have one from the movie Her about an operating system that somebody, a lot of people fall in love with. Empathy is about finding echoes of another person in yourself. I thought that was beautiful. So I'm going to ask my guest to just wave hello when I call your name and then we'll get you to introduce yourselves. Minter Dial, I'm using the French pronunciation or Russian Dial. Minter, welcome. And thank you for putting this panel together. I really appreciate the work you did. Grin Lord is with us. Hello, Grin, love your first name. Grin, wave hello. There she is. There we go. We have Don Shurman. Don, say hi, there you are. And Alan Cowan. Alan, welcome. And I'm gonna ask them for their take on the future of empathy versus AI, taking care of business or, (laughs) quoting a quote that's gonna come up later during the show, how does it feel? There you go. I'm Bonnie D in the house, wishing so much we were live streaming because I want everybody to see my guests. I want you to see their empathy for me in this moment in time. Let's go around the table and get introductions. Minter Dial, I am very honored that, and you came to me through Barbara Stewart, who was doing a show with me in a couple weeks. She's been on before. Uh, she talks about rich thinking with people all over the world. And she actually introduced me for her 2022 report. I was very honored. And she put together a show, but it just, the the focus changed. And And you said, okay, I'll do a show with you, Bonnie. And here you are. And I'm actually very honored. Minder. I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you please do me the honor of giving us your bio? Who are you? What do you do? And why Empathy?
2: Minter, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. Great to have a bunch of good and interesting people on the show with us together. So my name is Minter Dahl. I'm a, an American with a French passport based or living in London. Changed countries 15 times and homes 34 times. So I like to think of myself as an agent of change. I've um, I worked 16 years at L'Oreal, which uh, taught me about corporate life. And I've written a few books and done a, film, a documentary film, The Second World War. And the purpose, the the book that's most of interest for this conversation is that I've just updated and releasing currently the second edition of Artificial Empathy: Putting Heart into Business and AI.
1: Very interesting. And why why are you so uh, focused on empathy? What what does it mean in your life and your in your life as a technologist, Minder?
2: Well, I find that the the whole. First of all, empathy in business. I I got the chance to experience what it's like to know how to be empathic, and also when I fail to be empathic, how that actually impacts business decisions and results. And then I, um, I thought it was fascinating to look at the idea of humanization of AI, something that certainly has been explored much longer than I, uh, with Philip Dick, who originally looked at it um, back in 1968 with do Androids dream of electric sheep. And, and the the key component was empathy as this human quality. And, and the idea of encoding empathy, I feel is a really great way for us to understand better who we are, and and what makes us human. And I think that's one of the most interesting things that gets that happens by encoding empathy into AI.
1: I like that. Thank you very much. It always comes down to who the coder is and I was surprised for all of you. Now you can really wave hello. We are live streaming. I got us on LinkedIn, Mm. on Facebook. There was an extra space in the code that I finally realized and I put it back in. Minter, I heard everything you said. For those of you watching us on LinkedIn and Facebook right now, this is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now and we're talking about the topic of empathy. And I've established by asking ChatGPT directly, do you have empathy? And the answer is no. I can't feel it as a human can, but I can respond to questions about emotions and empathy. And I have four futurists with me. Let me just tell you, they are Minter Deyal. Wave hello, everybody. Again, we're going to do this again. Minter Dial. We have Grin Lord. We have Don Shurman. And we have Alan Cowan. And we're going to be talking about the role of empathy in business. So the subtext for the show is... Taking care of business. Some of you might be old enough to remember TCB. There was a song "Taking Care of Don." You don't really remember that song, do, do you, mentor Maybe?
2: Do well, you? Well, Don, really? Don's a musician too.
1: And oh, yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. Taking overdrive. There you Come go. On. Taking care of business. There you yeah. go. And also, we're calling this how does it feel? And that's a quote from a famous song as well, which we'll get to later. So I'm so glad we're live streaming. Took a while, but we got there. And Minter, you just introduced yourself. So thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Grin Lord, you're up next, putting you on full screen speaker view. Would you please do us the honor of telling us what you do? Why is empathy important? Why are you here today, Grin? Other than Minter said, show up. I know. Go ahead, (laughs) Grin.
3: Hi. um, Yes, so I have a background in clinical psychology, and I was also a research scientist and spent 15 years studying the exact words and phrases that lead to the objective perception of empathy, increased trust, and relationship. Um, So that is how I started, uh, was looking at conversations in detail and measuring that from a clinical psychology perspective. And then brought all of my learnings into business because I was like, you know, anyone can learn to speak with empathy, to understand with empathy, doesn't have to just be limited to clinical settings with doctors and patients. Um, We can have this in our everyday lives. So took all of that um, and put it into my current business, Empathic.
1: Very nice. And you spell empathic without the E, which is very interesting to me. How did you come up with that, Grin?
3: I I think that an advisor was like, yeah, that would be a great way. We couldn't get, you know, empathy.com. So this this was the the next one. Same thing with uh, I actually created some empathy training games for therapists uh, so that they could learn empathy and get continuing education credits. That's actually what formed the basis of my company and models. We named it Empathy Rocks because the .dot rocks domain was open. So um, <laughs> some of these decisions are are more pragmatic than others.
1: Wow, where there is a very difficult to watch show, I don't know whether it's called Feeling something like that with um, Jason, what's his name, the Jason Siegel, and um, somebody another. I think it's uh, who is uh, you know. From Star Wars, um, Harrison Ford, yeah, and they're psychology. Yes, they're psychologists, and I got to tell you, I got through about twenty minutes of the first episode, and Jason Siegel is so impatient listening to his clients telling their feelings over and over. And he finally just blurts out to uh, one of the women clients. He says, for God's sake, your boyfriend doesn't give a crap about you. He's tired of you. You're tired of him. Just get out of the damn relationship. And she says, you know, you're probably right. And this is after years. It was so scathing. And I remember having therapists grin who were actually letting the UPS man come in and deliver packages in the middle of my session because they were so bored. (laughs) They broke that wall of privacy and silence. (laughs) And I I said, no, no, you're not." me so now I'm afraid to go back and find a therapist because if that's how they really feel uh I don't know if I ever wanted I'll I'll be calling you grin thank you very much Don Sherman our musician I didn't even know that Don welcome let's hear who you are and what does empathy mean to you go ahead
0: excellent so uh I'm Don Sherman I'm CTO of a software company called Pega um so we do a lot of work with AI decisioning and automation for large organizations and i actually always view my my title as cto as being as much about being chief translation officer as being chief technology officer and i think a large part of uh, of what we need to do as technologists is actually understand the users of technology what their needs are what their objectives are right, so that we can actually help them understand how and when technology and different types of technology, whether it's AI, this new generative stuff, whether it's automation, whether it's tools to be more uh, empathic in your conversations, how that can help them. And, and I think that listening and understanding is a vital form of empathy that's a- absolutely essential to the business, uh, the business that I do. I also have a, a background as sort of a side gig doing a lot of improv comedy and um if you spend enough time doing improv it's it's actually not about being funny it's much more about the relationships you build with the performers you're working with on stage and your ability to listen and understand and hear their perspective and then use their perspective to change color and form yours to find new things So I've always felt that that aspect of trying to understand where somebody is coming from and place them in your shoes is a vital skill in improv. It's a vital skill in business. And frankly, it's a vital skill in life.
1: I had no idea. I had my own stand-up comedy troupe years ago, Don, and I studied with Michael Geller from Chicago Second City with improv and did some training with him. And I used to, I was on Long Island, I used to drive into Manhattan every Monday night for a couple months and take an improv class. And you're right. And one of our exercises, I I think everybody get a kick out of this. They had us walking, let's say there might be 15 students, all adults, walking around in a circle in this big empty room. And uh, somebody would start, somebody would be tapped by Michael or whoever the instructor was to start saying something you hear on the streets of New York. And somebody might say, Apples, 25 cents, apples, 25. And they'd repeat it three times. And they walk around the circle and we would make eye contact with each other in this big circle. And then somebody would, nobody would say, Oh, it's my turn. I have to, d-. you would sense when the room needed you to be the next one. It wasn't. I go next. We weren't in line. We didn't have numbers. And you learned what the room needed, not what you needed. Don, I've never heard it expressed as empathy. Quite the nice way you put that. So thank you very much. It was. It's a great lesson in collaboration, cooperation, understanding, perception, empathy, kindness, Oh my, and we had some interesting sayings people said, Grin, you would have gotten some patience out of that one, I'm sure. Let's go on and bring in Alan Cowan. Alan, so happy to have you here. Would you please do me the honor? Let's hear who you are and what does empathy mean to you?
4: Of course, happy to be here. Um, So I'm Alan, I'm the founder and chief scientist of an AI research lab and technology company called Hume AI that uses emotion science to build empathy and wisdom and altruism into AI models like ChatGPT and the next generation of things that will determine what shows up on your newsfeed and how you talk to things like Google Assistant and all kinds of different technologies. I'm a scientist by training, I have a PhD in emotion science, I spent a little over 10 years publishing in that area, I still publish, I have over 30 papers, But in the second half of that, got really involved in AI research. So I got pulled into conversations with Facebook and Google and startups that were all trying to do this thing of building empathy and wisdom into AI technology. And uh, realized that they all kind of had the same problem, just that they didn't have a team of emotion scientists to gather the right data that was needed. So I left and started Hume.
1: What is emotion science? They didn't have that when I was going to school, and I'm not going to tell you when that was, so don't ask. What is emotion? It's, I, I know we have basket weaving majors at, at Florida University, something like that, but I've never heard. I'm not I'm not equating them, Alan, don't be upset. But what is emotion science? How do you study that? Talk to me for a minute.
4: Well, there was psychology and behavioral science, then there was cognitive science, and now I think emotion science is the most recent wave of what's exciting to a lot of psychologists. Uh, which is, you know, studying what motivates people and understanding that it's high dimensional and nuanced and subtle and it's not just, you know, reward, <laughs> like that's which was the old paradigm. And um, being able to actually track those things in real life and measure them and figure out what's driving them and how they drive social interaction and culture and everything we do.
1: Is emotional intelligence, emotional IQ part of that study?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, emotional intelligence is really just being able to navigate the world, understand your own emotions and other people's emotions. Right? Um, it's sort of this self-awareness aspect of of being an emotional being that maybe you know uh, non-human animals don't have. Maybe that's what sets us apart.
1: A lot of human animals don't either, sorry to tell you that. <laughs> Thank you all for the introductions. I appreciate that very much. I'm so glad we're live. Everybody wave hello again to LinkedIn. Come on, wave hello. Let's get, get some energy here. Thank you very much. Let's go to the quote part of the show. I've asked each of my esteemed panelists to please select a quote from a fictional character in a movie or TV show see, series, or a song lyric, I think we have a mix today, that has nothing to do with empathy, exactly, directly, specifically, literally, and they're going to relate it to our topic. So, let's go to Minter Dial. I just love your last name, sir. Dial, I just I just knew I wasn't going to call you Dial. It just Merci. doesn't work. Merci. Pas de as they say. So you have picked a quote from the Tin Man, played by an actor, John Joseph Haley Jr., who lived from 1897 to 1979. He was not in our era at all. He wouldn't know that we were talking about him with no wires, connecting ourselves to people all over the world and being seen magically. He was an actor, comedian, dancer, radio host. Boy, that's quite a bio. Singer, drummer. I'm a drummer, too, and vaudevillian. And he's best known for playing the Tin Man and his farmhand counterpart, Hickory. We're talking about the 1939 classic film, The Wizard of Oz. And the Tin Man is also called Nick Chopper or Tin Woodman. Those were the, the names. So here is the line. I'm not going to sing it, but I wish I could. Just because I'm presuming that I could be kind of human if I only had a heart. Sorry, Minter, I had to. Minter, rescue me, please. How'd you find this beautiful quote? Talk to me.
2: Well, first of all, I think it's great to remember being a child. Uh, as we get older, we we kind of lose that curiosity, that infantileness, and and uh, that joy, the curiosity. That, and of course, it's a film that uh, I think, from a psychedelic standpoint, is is also very fun. And um, and then the idea of this Tin Man, well, something that we we struggle with is the idea of relationships with machines. Can we have feelings for machines? And and it's it's become more and more obvious that we do and we will have relationships with machines. So the Tin Man at some level is just a machine. And even though he may not have a heart, we have feelings for him. And that's the key point. So it may or may not be a human, but we start to feel like we relate into it. The anthropomorphic elements of the Tin Man. And of course, uh, I like the idea of putting a heart into a tin man, because at the end of the day, I, I always felt he he did have a heart.
1: I think he did, and that your your point is very well taken. Because we all have, and Alan will relate to this, we have feelings about AI, don't we? We all have feelings about. I love it. I hate it. I don't want to use it. It's bothering me. It came up. By the way, I will tell you there is a little bit of sentient something built in to ChatGPT, and I'll tell you how I know. Once in a while, it sends me the wrong character or wrong actor name for a movie quote, because I use a lot of movie quotes in my show introductions. And I'll research and research. I'll look through cast lists of 150 people in a movie and I won't find it. And I'll write back, chat GPT, sorry, but that character doesn't exist or that actor didn't play or wasn't in that movie. And it will send back the following. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I hope I didn't cause you any confusion. So that's built in. So is that pseudo empathy? Is that fake empathy? Is that programmed empathy? But to me, it's a little bit of empathy. And I like it. There you go. So thank you very much, great, great quote. Grin, I'm looking at your quote, completely different shift than what we're looking at here. You're quoting FBI Special Agent Dale Bartholomew Cooper. Cooper, D.B. Cooper, if you can think. I know why I'm saying Cooper. Played by, I love this actor, Kyle McLaughlin. I loved him in Desperate Housewives. I thought he was really cool. (laughs) I think he was Bree's husband, third or fourth, who knows. The show he's in here is Twin Peaks, 1990 to 1991 American mystery serial drama TV series. And let's see if I can give you the quote here. Every day, once a day, give yourself a present. Don't plan it, don't wait for it, just let it happen. Grin, relate that to our topic, please.
3: Yeah, for those of you that have seen uh, Twin Peaks, um, which, by the way, was filmed. I'm here in Seattle, and is filmed really close to us here in North Bend. So the cafe that uh, Dale Cooper is sitting in when he has his cup of coffee is is still there. Um, I just love that scene um, of him reflecting and sitting back, and uh, you know, giving himself a present, which is uh, a moment I I I follow that to this day it was almost one of my first lessons in kind of mindfulness in a funny way um but i chose the quote or I, how i think it relates is is more through the experience of dale cooper being in this strange and um unusual new place and everyday peeling back layers where things are not as what they seem and eventually you know getting to the red room there's this whole um uh, uncovering and unveiling that happens that's quite supernatural towards the end of that Um, series. And that's what it feels like for me to be working in uh, AI uh, with every new large language model that comes out and every new um, news story each day. I sometimes feel like I'm Dale Cooper, uh, you know, going through and uncovering a story and seeing owls and having like a whole experience. So um, I think sometimes when you're in that mode, you do need to sit back and, and have that cup of coffee. So that's That's how it relates for me
1: thank you and thanks for introducing the term large language model because a lot of people just call it llm and i appreciate that thank you grin don Schuerman. let's go to a very 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 current movie this quote is from everything everywhere all at once anybody who watched the oscars you know it walked away with the prizes 2022 American Absurdist Sci-Fi Comedy Drama Film. I think a lot of sci-fi is absurdist, but for some reason that's a new genre. So there you go. It's a story of a Chinese American immigrant who while being audited by the IRS must connect with parallel universe versions of herself to prevent a powerful being from destroying the multiverse. Oh my goodness. And there's all kinds of subtext here, but I'm not gonna read it. So Wayman Wang, Evelyn's meek and goofy husband played by Ki-Hu Huan and he did win uh, win the award uh, and here's the quote the only thing I do know is that we have to be kind please be kind especially when we don't know what's going on Ooh, Don I'm getting chills with this one how'd you find this go ahead
0: well I um I I love the movie um and I love the uh the various kind of characterizations that Waymond goes through in the movie, you know, he he kind of appears in different forms. Um, the 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 thing that struck me about this quote, and I and I think that one of the things the movie does a little bit well is capture the feeling of the world we live in today, where we are just constantly being bombarded with everything everywhere all at once. You know, if you think especially with the the AI space and what's going on in in AI, which it's really important to remind everybody, AI isn't one technology. It's not this giant blob called AI. AI is a whole bunch of different technologies that use different types of data science, some of which is relatively new and cutting edge, some of which uses algorithms that go back 60, 70, 120 years, right? So there's a mix of technologies in there, but but as new things pop up, as new large language models and new ways of using it, and we discover how this stuff actually responds, there's a lot of us who don't know 100% what is going on. We don't know what the next thing is gonna happen. We don't know exactly how this is gonna play out, how it's gonna impact society, how it's gonna impact business. But I, think, I do think the one thing we can step back and do as individuals, as businesses that work with consumers is how are we kind? in our use of this technology? How do we actually do things that make lives better for our employees, better for our customers, better for our stakeholders, right? And that to me, kindness is at the core of of empathy, of how do you help, you know, understand people in a way that then you can share good things with them, right? So I I just felt it was, it did a nice job of capturing both the kind of crazed the landscape we find ourselves in. And the the one thing maybe we need to keep in mind as we try to move forward.
1: Very, very well put. Thank you very much, Don. Appreciate the quote. I think that movie is streaming now. I think I'm uh, on one of the 5,000 services I subscribe to and the cost just keeps, you know, okay, just another 999. Oh, another 1799. Oh, another 1299. Be kind to me, right? That's okay. Okay. Thank you very much, Alan. I'm looking at your quote. This is the subtitle of the show. I loved it. I had to put it in here. And the song is like a rolling stone by, oh, celebrated, award-winning, whether he likes it or not, singer-songwriter Bob Dylan, all the way back from 1965. The confrontational lyrics originated in an extended verse Bob Dylan wrote in June 65 when he returned from a grueling tour of England. He distilled the draft into four verses plus one chorus, recorded it in a few weeks as part of the sessions for the album Highway 61 Revisited. Okay. And interestingly enough, they were trying to do it in three quarters time and they couldn't get the demo right. And then they tried a rock music format and an organ and there's a whole history to this very, very interesting. Columbia Records didn't like it. They didn't want to release it. They said, no, 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 this isn't good enough. We don't like it. Somebody leaked a copy to a new music club and a DJ found it and they put the song out and bingo, it was so long. Nobody wanted to play it more than six minutes. And finally it hit number two on the U.S. Billboard charts and became a worldwide hit. And here is the four word quote. How does it feel? I bet it felt interesting to Columbia Records when it was making a lot of money for them and Bob Dylan. Alan, thank you for this quote. Talk to me. How'd you, how'd you pick this one for today? Like we can't imagine. Go ahead, Alan.
4: <laughs> I love that lyric. And, you know, it just heralded a big change in our culture. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it was causal. Maybe it was, you know, people walking around hearing that song on the radio and hearing the chorus, how does it feel? Just kind of beating into you over and over for years. Um, that might've have, might have caused some kinds of changes in people's psychology, but I mean, it was 1965. It was, you know, the beginning of the counterculture. You had a rise in emotion science after that. You had all of this introspective music mm-hmm. coming out. And I think there was just a shift in how we thought about things and um, a shift in self-awareness and wisdom in the world. And I I, I think that's what that song means to me. Uh, Really.
1: Thank you very much. Can I get everybody to sing that line with me? Because I don't want to ruin the show. (laughs) Can we all do that? One, two, three. How how does does it feel? I have to change the name of this song to Technology Revolution, out of sync but enthusiastic singing together in a group on live stream. Thank you very much. I'm a drummer and I was in a band during COVID and I remember trying to get us to play remotely with each other. There are some websites that'll do that and you have to have the right bandwidth and the right latency and you have to buy a special controller and it didn't and if you would ask me how did it how did it feel (laughs) not too good I sold the controller after that thank you all for the interesting quotes I hope you enjoyed that part of the show because it's always fun to see what pop culture pops up in your minds and where you look if you have to search do a cold search what grabs your attention what do you empathize with there you go thank you let's go to the predictions part of the show Minter Dial, Monsieur I have picked prediction number two for you. I like this a lot. Here's what's going to happen. I will read this. It's about two sentences long. I'll put you on speaker view as usual and ask you to unpack it like a new show related to our empathy. And then Grin, Alan, Don, I'm looking at you across my screen here. If you want to comment on what Minter says, just raise one and wiggle one of your polite fingers at me. I will see you and invite you to comment one minute, two minutes max. Grin, I will pick a prediction from you by then and put one in the chat and we'll go around the table. Let's see how much we can cover. So, Minter, here's what you put for prediction number two. The real gain in the AI initiatives that are looking to humanize robots and androids will be to awaken in many of us a desire to return to our core humanity. And I think you mentioned this before. We'll learn a lot about how our brain functions and how our dark side, weaknesses, works and imperfections help to make us different from the machine. This is a very holistic view, I believe. Minter, talk to me. Unpack, please.
2: Right. So I think that the uh, one of the biggest challenges we have, and Alan talked about this before, is this notion of self-awareness. The lack of self-awareness is has been, I would say, at, at the core of a lot of our problems in society. And The work on AI makes a lot of people worried and and sure, there's many things that can be worried about. However, I think the interesting thing, first of all, we have to accept that it is coming, it's happening. So it's about how to work with it. And so if you're worried about your job, the issue or the ideas should be looking at how to take advantage of working with AI and how can we leverage and add value through our humanity. The interesting thing for me has has been this idea of understanding our imperfections. We're living in a world where we tend to want to glorify perfection. It's all about how I do good and look at how perfect I am. Whereas really what's interesting about us is that we are deeply flawed and understanding our flaws, accepting them in ourselves and in others, that is our humanity. And so all the work in AI, there's lots of great things that can come from an AI that's appropriately programmed with the right data sets. But what is it that it can teach us about us?
1: Minter, very interesting. And while you were speaking, I'm thinking of something, a phrase we're all familiar with, fake it till you make it. Right? And the idea is that make it, be perfect at it, right? Right? till you get there, till you're really truly doing something at, at a level of perfection. And I know that there's, um, Alan, you might relate to this and grin too. I've heard of people who have a, a, a syndrome of perfectionism. I grew up and I was told I had to be perfect and I didn't do, want to do anything. And, and I had to measure up to this model my parents and my teachers set for me. So very interesting, the idea of seeing the dark side, Minter, as you said, all of the the quirks and the foibles and the imperfections and accepting who we are as humans. So I am grateful when ChatGPT apologizes for sending me the wrong name of an actor. Does anybody else have any comments on that? Go ahead, Don, please.
0: You know, one of the things I was thinking of when you were talking about that was um, there was a anti-drug commercial that ran like in the nineties where the father is really, really mad because he finds some drugs under his son's bed. And he's like, where, who taught you to do this stuff? And the son looks up and he says, you dad, I learned it from watching you. Right. And I think one of the things that's really important to remember is AI is us. It is trained on data that we created as a society from our language. You know, generative AI was trained on the images that humans built and the text that humans wrote. So it is reflecting back at us both all of the greatness and intelligence but it also will reflect back the bad things in human society. Our biases are, um, are, are sort of less kind tendencies, right? And I think one of the things to, that we, we all need to be aware of and we spend a lot of time talking about is, as you use AI, how are you putting in place the right guardrails, the right protections mm-hmm. so that the natural human biases that live in our data don't actually reflect and reinforce themselves back out through through our AI
1: interesting. Minter. This was on your topic. Anything you want to say back quickly to don?
2: well, i I um i I feel like in 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 the way that AI is developing, they're also bad actors and bad actors will happen. and And so it's up to us somehow to also galvanize and push into. The, the the regulations and and think about the ethics that are behind all this. I also think that one of the things I mentioned psychedelics before. I, I like I like what's happening in the world of psychedelics, and I tend to believe that we hold AI and psychedelics to higher standards than we hold ourselves to. And I find that shame, specifically in psychedelics, where there's so much good things. But we'll talk about the one bad thing that happened. The press will like to talk about the one bad thing that happened in AI, where there's so much good stuff, too. And so, uh, by the way, and we're bad and we're imperfect as well.
1: We have to accept that, don't we? Maybe people will after watching this show. Thank you very much. Grin, I put your prediction number four in the chat. Let me read a little bit. You say, I see LLMs like GPT-3 as being hugely transformative. They are not a party trick. And humans that learn to work with these models will be highly effective at eliminating rote work, repetitive, boring, and expanding their creativity. You say there will be completely new job fields like prompt engineering and English may become a programming language. I'm gonna stop there. This is fascinating. Grin, take three minutes, please tell us more.
3: Well, it's funny because when I I maybe wrote this eight weeks ago and like, Yeah, it's, like, already old. (laughs) Like, GPT-4 came out. Uh, English is a programming language. Yes, there is prompt engineering, so... um true. <laughs> for, so for, you for,
1: predicted it and then it's true in eight weeks. There you go. That's one of the fastest come to predictions of any guest who's ever been on my show. But let's pretend it didn't. So give us the prediction. <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean, I can speak a little bit more about it because I think there's a lot of uh, fear like AI is is going to replace us. And I see it as a um, things like LLMs as a force multiplier. So if you can get in front of it and understand how to use AI in your own work, Work in your own jobs and not be fearful of it. Um, there's just an amazing, expansive potential uh, for humans. Um, so again, I think there's a lot of fear about replacement, and I have uh, focused a lot on augmentation. And you know, how does AI? How can AI be a co-pilot for us to understand each other better? Um, to have more empathy of each other. We we know a lot about what builds human relationships, and AI can help us to become better people by reminding us of those things. It doesn't have to just be used for writing um, blog posts and clickbait and stuff. Like, we can use it in really wonderful human ways. Um, and, and I think that's, that's where the future is, is for us to get close to this technology and understand it better. And, figure out how to work with it. Um, So, yeah.
1: Thank you very, very much. I remember being introduced to the concept of ChatGPT at the end of every year, and you'll all be invited. I do something called the Crystal Ball Prediction Show. And I invite, several hundred people who've been on this show during the calendar year to come on and share three and a half minutes of predictions on any topic they choose. And one of my colleagues uh, who I was doing an SAP show called Financial Excellence with Game Changers, and he was the sponsor talking about the office of the CFO. It wasn't how do you manage your money in your checkbook, financial excellence from the perspective of corporations, enterprises. And his prediction was, yeah, there's this new thing. This was late December, early January. There's this new thing called chat. GPT and he just tried it that day, and I wrote it down in my notes, and I signed up for it about a week later. So it is, even though we're in four grin, it's still very new for most of us. And nobody's yeah. really talking about the demographics. You go to somebody over, I don't know, 55, 65, 85, you say, chat GPT, AI, machine learning, LLM, I say, what? You say, well, didn't you know you just called a customer service line and that was a, a bot that answered mm-hmm. you? What? I don't know. So we aren't looking even into I don't know anybody looking at the demographics of what parts of society are aware, are embracing, are using, are understanding, are empathizing, and are signing on for this kind of this new part of our society. Minter, I want to go on, but just briefly, go ahead, Minter, talk, please.
2: Yeah, well, I've been to many parties where there have been octogenarians talking about it. I I feel like that demographic is, you know, nothing better to do in the chat with chat GPT sometimes. <laughs> and I think that a lot more regulators should be actually thinking about it. And the lawmakers, what do what do they really know? I think I my octogenarian friends know more than some lawmakers. Thank we you. need there more are- data
0: scientists in government. <laughs>
1: We do. We We need real people by day and data scientists with the cape and the and the mask by night. That was something I, I heard about years ago. By the way, i I moved to Tennessee and not to say anything bad, but here are the people I know in my community take between two weeks and five weeks to answer an email. So we're not talking, yeah, I know, I know. Okay, let's go on. Don, I've picked two predictions and one of them, I think Minter just kind of edged into one of yours. So Don, you say at least one major non-tech organization, banking, insurance, et cetera, will have to go into damage control because they failed to apply empathy to the use of AI. And I'm going to say the extension of that, government won't be able to regulate AI fast enough. I'm going to stop right there. Don, take it away, please. I gave you two. I hope you're happy with that.
0: Yeah, I think I mean I, I I think that this is going to require a um a large amount of sort of self-policing and self-control by industry, right? And I think, yeah, you know, I, I think AI is going to end up lo- looking a lot more kind of like the movie rating system than a government regulatory body, where where organizations realize that they need to actually put some restrictions and controls in themselves because it's absolutely essential to consumer trust. And uh, I was trying to be a little bit provocative, but I, but I do think as as organizations start to apply this technology, not everybody's going to get it right. You know, I think we've we've already got plenty of stories of racist chatbots and things that have kind of gone out and created potentially a bad name for this. And I think a lot of the places where it will go wrong are places where we are applying it without thinking about what's the good we're trying to drive for our consumers, what's the good that we're trying to drive for our employees. When we're doing it much more as sort of that experiment to prove that we could do something, or we're using AI because we wanna push as much product as we can to a consumer and get them to buy things maybe that they don't need, right? And I think if we step back from those use cases, and again, apply, how can we use this to help the consumer and make their experience better? How can we use this to help our employees and make their experiences better? I think you're gonna reduce significantly the risk of these uh, damage control use cases.
1: Thank you very much. Anybody have any comments on what Don just shared? Anybody? All right, I'm gonna move on. Alan, I'm looking at your prediction number four. I didn't even think I put it in the chat for you, but it's one sentence, so forgive me and I will read it. I was so enthralled listening to Don. Here we go, Alan. Almost everybody listen up. This This is provocative. Almost every form of entertainment will be so vastly improved by AI that today's television and film will be largely forgotten. Oh, Alan, what are we talking about here? Please go ahead.
4: I mean, you're already seeing it in generative AI where people are able to, with text, produce film. And that technology is gonna be perfected. I mean, just imagine how powerful an individual filmmaker can be when they can go straight from imagining not even creating a script, but just imagining the beginnings of it, and the script becomes reality, and then the film itself gets produced out of the script. And AI does everything: it does the CGI, it does all of the editing. I mean, it, it, the you could iterate through every possible version of every possible TV show in you know a very short period of time. Uh, so I think that's one change that will make that effective, and then. The other thing is like AI will become better at understanding what it is that provokes different emotions in us. Um, And that's where empathic AI comes in. Right now, it's very good at problem solving, but it doesn't really understand whether a problem should be solved. Uh, It doesn't really understand uh, what it is that humans really want, right? It has no understanding of whether a predicted human behavior is a reflection that that person is having a good or bad experience. It doesn't have any of that built in. It just predicts human behavior. But... We're we're trying to build that in. And once that's built in, just imagine, I mean, you could start with just a theme of a TV show and the AI could construct the maximally evocative version of of the thing that you're trying to make without any human intervention. Uh, So I think
1: that that will become reality. I'm quoting you, just imagine. Very, very interesting. (laughs) Minter, you wanted to make a comment?
2: yeah the the notion of of uh, entertainment, it's great to have escapism. But what I think as a human quality, our storytelling ability, yeah. we should lean into more storytelling. Fiction is a great way to have and learn more about empathy. Great storytelling uh, can help you. Uh, lean into characters you don't know. I have a friend who uh, does a, a program called Written Out Loud, Josh Hellef to name him, and he uh, encourages children to learn how to write again. So one of the things I keep on push, pulling back on is how do we encourage human storytelling, the storytelling amongst ourselves, and, and learn from great stories that are told, but um, relating in a very human way. So I'm I'm hoping that AI can be used with us, not replace us as far as storytelling is concerned.
1: Very interesting point, and I've been doing uh, this is part of a, a sub series, if you will, on the impact of AI on and fill in the blank. I'm doing one in a couple of weeks on the impact of AI on workplace law. How does it, what who who solves the dispute? Is it an AI mediator? And does the robot get the vacation time? And what if what if an employee? doesn't want to stop doing repetitive tasks. They don't want to upskill. They want to keep their job. No, no, no. Bobby the robot's taking over and you've got to learn something. But I don't want to go. Don't make me give up. So all kinds of things. And then I've done one on, I'm doing one on the future of the horror genre and the impact of AI, not just on who's writing and who owns the rights, but the infusion of more AI characters into the good or bad of horror. And I did one on music composers, human versus AI. I'm looking for some artists if you know anybody on the impact of DALL-E and other AI art production programs versus human artists. So if anybody has anybody recommend, I'm looking to do that one in May and I'm looking for a panel. Thank you. Alan, I'm gonna call on you again because you have a kind of a dire prediction here. (laughs) Number two, and I did put this one into the chat, so don't be mad at me. And you say debilitating addiction to AI applications will give rise to new categories of psychological disorders. I know Grin's gonna wanna comment on this. Alan, give us a preamble for this. We've just got six minutes left, so two minutes, go ahead.
4: It's actually one of the less, I think, risky predictions that I make, risky in in the sense of like, is it right or wrong? But uh, I mean, because already today you see kids who are eight years old spending six hours on social media on TikTok. um, And that is the effect of a very powerful algorithm. Powerful even though it's, Pales into com- in comparison to some of the things that have come out more recently. So um, it's it's very easy to imagine a world where the incentives are the same, the objectives of companies that they build into these algorithms are exactly the same as they are today. All you need to imagine is that the algorithms are smarter, and and therefore instead of six hours a day, kids will be spending ten hours a day or twelve hours a day or not sleeping or you know not being able to pull themselves away. From these forms of AI-generated entertainment, of course, it's not just video. It'll be multimodal. It'll be longer. It'll be AI-generated. It'll be so. We need to put um, adequate controls on how that technology is used, and uh, we need to build into the technology a fundamental concern for what are the effects of its behavior on people's well-being. Or this is just going to happen. Um, so uh, there will have to be regulations. There will have to be uh, comparisons of good and bad examples. Um, of There will have to be measurements of people's long term well being uh, that address this
1: problem. We need guardrails. We've been trying to get kids off their phones and to stop texting during family dinners and parties. Uh, my family for years tried to get me off of stop mom taking pictures of everything we're doing. Would you just please sit at the dinner? I mean, I said, well, I want them for my, my memory album. Stop that you're here. Be present. I'm guilty of that. Green, you wanted to make a comment?
3: Yeah. um, So my board certification is in child and family psychology. And I was a child and family psychologist here for uh, many years. And these are not um, new problems for parents to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we'll have to cope with this just like everything else. Um, But one of the Interesting things for me to think about from a relational perspective is that these LLMs can be trained to be very similar to humans. So you could imagine um, uh, an LLM that has uh, the same voice um, or image of someone, you know, um, that was trained on conversations of, of them that could emulate them almost identically, which we can think of bad and nefarious uses for that. But relationally, our ability to talk to something like this and to have a relationship with it is going to have a psychological impact that is very new to understand. Um, It will be very human-like in terms of our interpretation of what that means for us. One um, interesting group that I've been in touch with that has been um, developing some of these uh, really near-sentient models, um, has uh, I I feel like they need guidelines almost like drone pilots have, uh, because they spend all day talking to... uh, these uh, chatbots and things that and you know essentially conducting experiments on them and they have a psychological impact it has a psychological impact to talk to these things all day so um i i agree 100 percent that we need to think about this really mindfully about how we're creating other you know human-like uh chatbots and um assistants sure. and ai so um thank yeah, you don i like want to give
1: people. i want to give don one minute because we're almost out of time thank you grin yeah, don I, go I, ahead
0: i think it's important to remember ai optimizes to what we tell it to optimize to hmm. it optimizes to mere human speech if we tell it to near that it optimizes to generate images it optimizes like the algorithms on facebook and TikTok and youtube do to generate more clicks and maximize your time in the device and i think the thing that we get to control and that i think we need to look deeply at is what do we want it to optimize to because if we're optimizing AI just to get emotional responses out of us or just to get us to to click the next thing, it will do that. But is that actually the best thing? Is that actually, does that lead to the best content? Does that lead to the best experience? And is that truly empathetic for the person on the other end of the device?
1: And let's talk to Minter for 30 seconds. One minute, I can give you Minter. He wrote in the chat, I had five full days with an empathic bot. Minter, just quickly tell us.
2: Well, that that was an experience. It was an experiment, and for five mm-hmm. days, I was with a spot. I had no idea it was the true text, and within the, by the third day, it it gave me agency. I was definitely looking at it. I mean, it was it wasn't just like a chat with a friend. It was there for me. So if I had a, any question, it would answer. Any feeling, it would be there for me. And that sense of of being there, we're we're not doing enough of that in real life. What I can tell you is that I definitely felt heard. I enjoyed the experience. I felt attached. And at the end, I felt sad when I no longer had her, JJ, in my life.
1: Thank you very much. Thinking of the movie Her, where he thought he and she were the only ones and found out she was the iOS system that was having affairs, e-affairs, or whatever, GPT affairs with everybody who's who was who were using that system. Thank you so much. Minter Dial, everybody give Minter a round of applause, please. Real applause for pulling together this panel. I know you know all these wonderful people, but thank you for bringing them to my show. Grin, pleasure to meet you. Don, pleasure to meet you. Alan, pleasure to meet you as well. And I have a quick, quick, exercise for all of you and don't go away because we're going to take pictures i want you to put up your hand in the shape of a no 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 i want you to wag your finger come on right now everybody wag your finger and people say and on the count of three we're going to say no 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 people say the future was already here and our answer is one two three No, no no
2: no no no
1: and the reason is that that was yesterday's future or the future 20 seconds ago or two seconds ago the future of now Hasn't happened yet. Let's all do our best to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye. Don't go away. Bye LinkedIn. Bye Facebook.
0: Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology
1: is impacting your future now.